Virginia is for eaters and drinkers, all kinds of eaters and drinkers, for oyster shuckers and slurpers, winery samplers or all-day wine drinkers, brewery hoppers and distillery sippers, for those who order grits and those who order cheese grits. We all know what the right way to order is. For barbecue triers who turn into finger lickers and meat off the bone suckers. All right, all this talk of food is making me hungry. I gotta go get some mac and cheese. Like I was saying, Virginia is for all sorts of food lovers. So come love it for yourself. If you're into designer furniture and you want the sofa that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends and all the quality, but without the designer prices. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or designerlooks.com. How did we become Central Ohio's most trusted team of orthopedic experts? We focus on what matters most, our patients. At Orthopedic One, we know we're only at our best when we're helping you get better. And every day, your commitment to overcoming pain and injury inspires and moves us. That's why we bring our best every day to earn your trust. Find a physician near you at orthopedicone.com. From coast to coast and around the world, you're going online with Bill Alexander. Online with Bill Alexander is a guest-driven program where the topics are diverse and entertaining. Laugh and learn while you listen to one of the best hours of online radio around. Online with Bill Alexander. Good day, everyone. Yours truly, William Eric Alexander. All my friends call me Bill, and you're online with Bill Alexander here on WMCK.FM, Fayette TV, Channel 77, and CUTV, California, Pennsylvania. As we broadcast live from the Phil Gene Motor Studios, high atop High Street in Brownsville, Pennsylvania. If you're looking for a quality pre-owned vehicle, give Chip a call, 724-785-6800, or stop by his website, philgnamotors.com. Tonight, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. We're going to be talking to a podcaster, and the name of the podcast is called Murderous Miners Killer Kids. That's a mouthful, but I love the opening, the disclaimer at the beginning of the show, and let me share it with you here right now. Just so you know, this show is about scary stuff, so don't say I didn't warn you guys, and remember, don't be scared. I just love that. I <laughs> on the phone light right now, we have War Baby. War Baby, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Doing real good. Who is that young lady doing that disclaimer for you? That is the daughter of my friend and fellow podcaster, Jamie Rice. She has a, a show called Murderish, which is also a true crime podcast. Okay. And that's her six-year-old daughter. Yeah, I was like, can you do me a favor? I think this will be really effective in getting our point across. And it's worked out pretty well. Heck, I want her to do one for me now. I mean, that. <laughs> I heard. Oh, that. yeah. She's on her way to having her own show for sure. I think that was what hooked me onto your program is just hearing her little voice trying to comfort me and saying, this is not going to be scary. You're okay. They're just stories. So, anyway, all the right, phone lines. Just stories. On the phone line right now, we have War Baby, who hosts a podcast that I just came upon recently called Murderous Miners, Killer Kids. It's a very interesting podcast, and as you mentioned briefly in that, you said it's a true crime podcast. What got you interested in doing this type of uh, entertainment or, or information? Well, I enjoyed listening to podcasts, 
And when I started to think about doing one, I was looking for certain stories, certain crimes that I was hoping other shows would have done. And I was able to find some. Okay. But I really noticed there was a, a lack of shows that covered cases where the children were perpetrators. Okay. And basically, I like to write, and this is how I am able to write without having to try to make money just selling my writing. Okay. Um, what's really interesting is you've been doing this now for what, uh, about two years? Yes, coming up on two years at the first of the year. And you have 45 episodes right now, correct? I have 45 episodes and probably about maybe 10 to 12 bonus episodes or collaborations I've done with other shows. So what's really interesting about this is you decided there wasn't something out there. You wanted to create it and you went about doing it and you've actually been able to continue doing it. Unlike a lot of people that get the idea, I'm going to do a podcast. They do three or four episodes and they do what we call pod fading by disappearing off right. the face of the earth, but you're still sticking with it. As much as I hate to say this, is there enough stories out there for you to be continuing this for a long period of time? Well, I mean, you wouldn't, you would hope that there wasn't. Okay. But as each day passes, you know, people send me stories, things happen in the news. Sometimes I cover recent stories. Some I've had episodes where I've covered 10, 10 different cases. Because juvenile cases, I don't have access to as much information. Okay. So sometimes I'll do a theme, um, like toddler shooting people. And between the two episodes I had for that, I probably had over 20 cases of toddlers killing people, oh, either themselves wow. or someone else with yeah. a gun. Yeah, so I don't think that we'll ever run out of stories, um, especially with school shootings. I mean, I don't generally cover school shootings. I don't generally cover very mainstream cases. It's really just ones that catch my eye. And I like to do ones that have something to say about how we deal with juvenile mental illness in this country or things that have to do with the justice system, resentencing, okay. and things like that. There's just always a lot of missed signs. And I like stories that have a lot of details that people can actually get something from. Okay. When you, when you talk about these, and as you said, you want people to get s something from them, do you have a, a background in criminology, or are you just, just interested in the genre? I have a background in motherhood. Oh, okay. And being around a lot of children. <laughs> well, that makes sense. And, yeah, we have a lot of children in my family, and as they've been growing up, you know if there's different personalities. And it's just kind of something I'm around kids a lot, so it's just kind of something that everything collided Okay. into one place and I was able to just kind of find a niche. I think that I think that's interesting because this is a topic in a lot of ways is a taboo subject because I mean there are like you said uh, true crime podcasts and blogs out there but no one really focuses on the kids and I think that's it's hard. Is it because there's not a lot of information out there or because court records are sealed or how why is it so difficult? Well, I think part of the reason is maybe 50%, 60% of true crime shows have a comedy element to it. And this is the kind of subject that you can't, I mean, it's, you shouldn't joke around about any crimes involving victims, but right. people find a way to do it. But it's just so delicate because 
these children were children, and they're going to grow up to be adults, and they get out of prison. Not everybody stays in prison forever. So I just try to deal with it very delicately so that I'm not trying to harm anyone or place blame on anyone. I just want people to learn that any child you come in contact with, you have the ability to observe and help in some kind of way. Because all so many of these stories, these, so many of these stories involve children who just kind of weren't being paid close enough attention to sometimes. Now, the other thing I've noticed while listening to your podcast, you have a very, it, the program must be extremely well scripted. Well, thank you. I write it myself. I produce the entire thing myself, to be honest. Okay. And the other thing is you are actually using actualities in the podcast itself of people. Now, have you interviewed them? Have you pulled them off the Internet? How do you get those people involved? Well, I've only delved into the interview arena once so far. Okay. My clips are generally open source 911 clips, clips from jail phone calls, things have been recorded. Um, sometimes I use news clips, but usually it's trial footage, 911 calls, and things that have been recorded, uh, police confessions and interviews and things like that. And for a lot of these cases, that stuff is open, openly available on YouTube, especially. Many trials are available on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So um, I've also, I interviewed um, a few months back, I did interview a former juvenile lifer from Michigan named Antonio, who was resentenced due to some Supreme Court rulings that happened a few years back that caused a lot of juvenile lifers to have to be resentenced. Okay. So he was resentenced and then ultimately paroled after 30 years. And I read an article about how he ended up coming here to Arizona to attend the uh, criminal justice program at Arizona State University. So I got in touch with him. And he allowed me to interview him, and he just told his story vividly, how he got involved in the group that led him to be involved in a murder. And he was shot himself and critically injured. And um, it's just, I, I like stories, too, where you get to hear the way that the police and lawyers and how they handle things as well. Because sometimes people put too much trust in the police, when they could be a suspect, especially when it comes to minors. Minors get interrogated without parents and lawyers all the time. And you never know when you or someone you know will find yourself in a situation and, you know, there might be some information somewhere that could actually help people. So at a lot of the the podcasts you've done and a lot of stories you've done, have you noticed a theme about the child's life? Has it been coming from a broken home? Are they in foster care? Are they their parents that just aren't involved, or is it a parent that's careless and leaves a gun laying around? I mean, what what is the main theme behind all this? Well, one of the themes that I've noticed is, well, definitely parents. People always want to tell me that this child is evil or this child is a bad seed, and that's probably true, but ultimately that's still genetically from the parents. Okay. In my mind, mostly everything comes down to parenting. And another trend that I've noticed, which I expected to be foster home, foster care slash adoption, but really it's homeschooling. 
Inter- really? I've had so many cases of homeschooled children who've, who've gone on to murder. I was very surprised. So do you have a theory why that is? I don't is? know if there's a correlation at all, but a high it, it seems like a high percent, a higher percentage than I feel like should be normal of the cases that I look at involved homeschooled children. And I think part of it is because, and it does still go back to parenting, because sometimes Sometimes people homeschool their children because they don't want whatever's going on in their household to be exposed, you know, to the community. Right. I know that's not always the case. And even I've homeschooled some of my kids. Okay. But I have noticed that that is a trend. I've had a high number of children who've murdered come from homeschool families. That that's just very interesting because I would have never thought of that. Now the other night, neither would I. The other night I was watching TV and I was watching an episode of Bowl, which is on CBS, and their story was dealing with a child who shot his brother, who they thought mm-hmm. they were blaming the parent for it, and they realized and it was thought it was accidental. Parent left it a loaded gun until they realized when they went through the storyline. The kid was actually a sociopath, and he was trying to figure out how to do this in months prior, got the opportunity, killed his brother, felt no guilt. Have you had stories like that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and sociopathy in children, it definitely seems to exist. Most mental illnesses like bipolar, dissociative Mm -hmm. disorder, things like that, they try not to diagnose in in minors, they, right. they usually schizophrenia, they usually manifest themselves in the older teenage years. But they did scale down and make a childhood version of the psychopathy checklist that they can give to kids to see if they are predisposed to being sociopaths. And it's pretty, it's a lot more prevalent than you want to think. Now, and no, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, I. I'm not sure. I mean, obviously, we don't know what causes mental illness, and a lot of it is genetic. Uh-huh. But I often wonder if it's, you know, drug use in pregnancy, okay. alcohol use in pregnancy. You know, a lot of those things can have factors about how your your child's going to turn out temperament wise. Again, which is which is very interesting when you when you look at this. Now, you said you have your own children, and and you have a family with a lot of children. Have you ever looked at one of those kids with a hairy eye and go, this kid's acting weird. Should I be worried? I mean, because of what you've been reading and what you've been producing, do you start noticing similarities in other people? Well, to be honest, we have, I think, maybe 14 grandkids now. Excuse me, guys, if I missed any of them. <laughs> wow. I would say maybe, I would say maybe two of them, I think, you know, go over to the line of being how much how much conscience they have maybe okay yeah you definitely see it they range the spectrum you know but i always say you know you have to look out for things like head injuries right or do they harm animals or were they you know bedwetters and things like that do they like to set fires if there's no more than two of those i wouldn't be too concerned you know <laughs> but yeah i definitely give a side eye to one or two of the kids in my family, their genders will remain remain nameless. (laughs) So we can't point any finger. Right. None of my own kids though. None of my own kids. Okay. Um, Now, another thing that I think is interesting too, as you mentioned, as you mentioned this, um, 
are the stories that you have, are they majority boys or are they girls or a mixture of both? I do a mixture of both. I absolutely do. I don't want to, I do a mixture of genders. I do a mixture of races. I've done LGBTQ cases, all kinds of cases. Um, because we have so many societal issues, you have to look at every case separately and see, you know, what's breaking down. And, but, you know, one thing I don't focus tons of time on is gun control. And okay. a lot of people get on my case because they feel like I should be, I should maybe talk more about it. But to me, we'll never get rid of guns. But I really do think that you need to prosecute parents who don't properly, you know, store their guns. Ultimately, it's their responsibility. Okay. So um, I really just push for, you know, a free trigger lock program that is in almost every state now in this country. So I advocate for that a lot. I just want you to lock your guns up. You know, I have combat. I'm a war baby. I have combat veterans in my family. My father's a combat veteran. Okay. We're not going to get rid of guns. No, not you know? at all. I understand that. Yeah. So you just need to be responsible and, and, um, really just pay attention to your kids is what it comes down to. Of all the episodes that you have done, have any of any one or two really stuck with you because the stories were either so, so sad or so horrific that it was just something you couldn't let go. Yes. Occasionally they're all terrible and break my heart a little bit every time, but sometimes there's a story that's just so confusing and you never get a good answer. So there's no resolution as to why it really happened. And there was a case um, outside of Salem, Massachusetts, um, a few years back. And it was a student by the name of Philip Chisholm. And he actually murdered his ninth grade English teacher. He was 14 years old okay. on school grounds in the bathroom. Wow. And and he was able to get he was able to go get a recycle bin, wheel it into the bathroom, and wheel her body all the way out to the woods, and nobody noticed. But the whole thing was caught on surveillance camera. So watching that footage over and over and over again, splicing together an edit, you know, for my my listeners to see what I was talking about, uh -huh. put on social media, it really played in my mind over and over again. There's no footage from inside the bathroom. But there's footage of him going in and coming out and going in and coming out. And it's just it's just blows my mind that that could even happen. Just listening to you say it gives me chills because it seems unbelievable. Yeah. And there was one I listened to the other day, and unfortunately, it escapes me. It was about a, a young man who was a foster child who seemed to be everything was going in the right direction for him. And something just went and he just, and it was just really awkward. And then I was listening to Demon before you came on your most recent episode, which, mm -hmm. um, which was also a very uh, interesting one because it all seems to me. And like you said, there's mental health, but these kids are suffering from something else. And I don't know if it's acceptance or if they're just having problems adjusting to things in their own lives or understanding how things work. Yeah, it's almost like a lack of direction. And a lot of the a lot of the changes we've made to legislation on the federal level mm -hmm. a few years back that have caused domino effects throughout the states deals a lot with brain science and how 
children's brains just aren't developed. Humans' brains just aren't developed until we're into our 20s. Right. So you see kids making these confusing decisions and coming to these conclusions like murder is going to be my only option. And I kind of remember when I was a teenager and thinking things were the end of the world that definitely weren't. I mean, I never went toward murder, right. but I could see how if things really weren't great for you and you had no guidance or direction or anyone you felt like you could talk to, I mean, I could see that it could happen. And kids are silly enough, you know, he was silly enough to think that he was going to be able to drive that Camaro all the way to Mexico and nobody right. was going to go to Texas and no one was going to notice. Mm-hmm. And he didn't get five miles away from the house. It, it, it's just it's just very sad because these kids, like you said, feel that this is their only way out or they can't figure out what's going to happen next. As I as I say, they can't they can't um, predict what's going to happen. If I do this, this is going to happen to me for some reason. They, right. don't have, they have no. Yeah, they can't see the consequences. They have no ability and to do that. It's like it's like their emotions cloud their consequences part their ability to see consequences. And that's when good figure parental figures and role models in your life really come in handy because a lot of times kids say, well, I felt like I didn't have anyone to talk to. And it's like, well, you had me, but if they don't know they have you, then right. they're not going to come to you, you know? And, you know, you used to think back when there weren't so many people, kids got a lot of that from school. And they got a lot of that from extracurricular activities Correct. and church and things like that. But the times are really changing and parents don't really rely on those kinds of things anymore to help them think like they did when I was little. And they, I just feel like kids don't feel like anyone care, uh, cares about them sometimes. I remember when I was young. And it really makes me sad. I remember when I was younger that the the and like you can tell I'm old because I will say the advent <laughs> of video games coming into play of the yeah. the violent games and the big the big stink at the time was is that people thought that kids were getting violent tendencies because they thought if they would take they would kill somebody on the video game that the next day they could reset it the person would be back and they can continue playing or they would see a movie, see a character in the movie, the mo- the character be killed, but yet in another movie or TV program, the individual came back. So they thought in their mind after a period of time that this wasn't a finality or a final thing that it, you would come back from it. Now, because we have so much isolation in, in 2019, because of the internet, because of social media, because of online gaming, do you think some of that plays into this because these kids have no social interaction, which may also tie into the home homeschooling situation that you mentioned earlier. Well, I mean, I want to think so because it sounds logical. Okay. But at the same time, I feel like those are things that adults think that children will think. Good point. But I don't really think so. And I feel like maybe it might have an influence if you're susceptible. If you have some kind of other factors already going on that will make you susceptible or push you toward being violent. I I don't think that they can make you violent, though. I I just really don't. I mean, 
I just did over the the week before Halloween. I, I did a whole bunch of mini shows about violent content specifically. Okay. Movies, music, video games. The uh, and ha- in each case, the Halo made, <laughs> the Halo made me do it was interesting. Uh, right, and I mean the, a lot of the times, the media or the police will attach that to a case. And then it kind of takes off. But when these kids grow up, they most, almost all of the time say that it wasn't true. It was just something that they said maybe to put the blame somewhere. But it's, it wasn't really true. And as far as kids and death and thinking that characters are going to respond, you know, like humans will respond like characters. Right. Every child has experienced death, I would have to say, by the time they're six or seven. Okay. Be it a family member, a grandparent, a pet on TV. I think we're really selling kids short if we think that they're stupid enough to think that okay. you're going to kill people and they're going to come back. I just, I think that's something that they want us to think. But we want it to be something simple like that. But really, it's a multifaceted societal issue, just like every other problem we have, you know? Do you think it's because adults want to, don't want to have to deal with it? They just want to give the simplest answer they can. Well, yeah. I mean, every state, you know, doesn't want to really invest in their mental health care system um, or their juvenile justice system or combine them in some way that really rehabilitates kids before they're 21 or 25, like we're, we thought we were we were supposed to be doing. Right. But... It's a lot easier to say to ban a video game than That's it true. is to really fix the problems. That that is very true because again, like you said, that's the easy way out. Um, with these stories that you do, um, when you do them, how long does it take you to research it, write it, produce it? Well, it depends on how many resources I have to draw from. Some of my older cases or some cases that didn't receive national attention, I have to little bit dig a little bit deeper for details. Sometimes I, I read a book and consult with an author about a book. I've consulted with victims' families before. Um, I'm not really trying to have a show that spot cases certain that showcases um, or puts a spotlight on certain individuals per se. Okay. I like to keep it narrative and scripted. But I could probably, I would say, one to two scripts a week. Yeah, so I really had to try to streamline my processes to get to um, releasing once a week. Because with a scripted podcast, you know, there's just a lot that goes into it. Right. And doing everything myself, it's, um, it's a lot of work, but it's definitely been worth it. Now, the scripts that you do... Um because when I listen to the podcast, I can tell that you have everything almost down to the moment of what you want to say, how you want to say it. Do you keep all your scripts? Um, I mean, at the beginning, I didn't. I okay. would say maybe I have my last 20 scripts or so. The reason, Yeah, I, but I don't have them all from the beginning. The reason I'm asking this, this may sound odd... I think they'd be very interesting for an audience to read while they're listening to what you're saying, because I think it would it would give them a little bit more perspective on where you're coming from. And it'd be a great blog 
just to go and and, and and to correspond with what you're doing. I am going to be launching my website soon. Okay. And I'm hoping to have all my scripts transcripted on there so that even people who maybe are hearing impaired uh-huh. can still enjoy them as well. And maybe one day I'll turn them into, you know, a coffee table book or something like that. <laughs> that'd be a, I'll, I'll be honest <laughs> with you, more, that'd be a very, that'd be a very creepy coffee table book. I'll just tell you that right now. <laughs> I'll have my friend's daughter do some illustrations for the front so you're not scared before you open it. <laughs> that's good. That's, that's quick. I like that. Um, uh, <laughs> I don't know where to go from here now. You just caught me off guard. Uh, you're listening to WMCK.FM and also watching us on Fayette TV Channel 77 and CU TV California as we stream live here at italknet.com. Now, one thing I'm really impressed, you've been doing this podcast for, um, for the two years and you have over a million downloads from what I can tell I on Spreaker. That is fantastic. When did everybody find Thank this? Thank you so much. Well, I've had, I have traveled quite a bit um, to promote the podcast. Being independent, I don't really have anyone doing my networking or anything like that. Okay. I take care of everything myself. But I do, I do visit CrimeCon. Have you ever heard of CrimeCon, the true crime convention? Actually, I've ne- I never heard it until someone else brought it up to recently on another program that I did. But, yeah, I've heard of it before. Yeah, so I've been there twice. And I really, I network with a lot of other podcasters. I mean, the community itself is really supportive. Okay. And I would never have even been able to start if a couple of podcasters that I reached out to didn't really encourage me. And, and let me know that it was something that pretty much, you know, most people could do. Mm-hmm. I I will say one thing. Your production value on the program is is very well done. It, it is impressive. And I've worked in I worked in radio for years and I wish I would have been able to work with people that were able to do what you did, because just the way you do it is is, in my opinion, truly professional. Oh, well, I appreciate that so much. I think part of it is that I wrote the script. Right. So I know exactly what music I'm going to use in my head when I know exactly what I want it to sound like when I'm writing it. And it makes it so much easier to flow and be cohesive oh, that way. When you do the steps yourself, I mean, it's a lot of work, but nobody is going to edit it to the way that you want it, really. I mean, if you care about it. And it's my baby, so... It's my project, and I take a lot of pride in it, so I try to put a lot of effort into the production because I know what I don't like to hear. So, so prior I try to stay to, away from that. So prior to doing this, did you have any training at all, or did you just picked it up on your own? Um, I have had no production training That's at all. That's awesome. I pretty much have just taught myself. In the first, I would say for the first 20 episodes, I worked with a production company. Oh, really? But my, my script writing wasn't... I wasn't fast enough for their turnaround. So I kept falling behind and then I would have to hurry and edit it myself and throw something together. And Uh before you knew it, mine sounded better than theirs. (laughs) So I was just like, I think we're done here, guys. So for the next 30 or 40 episodes, I've I've done it myself. So what editing software are you using? Uh, I use Audacity. Okay. 
Yeah, I use Audacity. And I've never asked any of my listeners if they like the fact that I have music playing through the whole thing. Because I don't care. I love it. And it'll never go away. It'll always be that way. Well, one so, one thing I learned years ago is that if you please yourself first and the people that will like it will follow. And uh, I, I learned that the I learned that the hard way because you have to please yourself absolutely. first because if you don't, you get frustrated and then you stop doing it because you're taking everybody else's right. advice. Because um, I started I pod, started podcasting when I left radio because I, I I'm actually a school teacher full time, um, and I, I left I left radio twenty uh, some years ago and started podcasting in two thousand and six. And Ooh. I did the same format I did when I did talk radio the same way. And I had people saying, you need to do this. You need to do that. Well, I made those changes and I just became miserable because it wasn't my show. I was listening to everybody else until I told them, no, this is mine. And then I went off and did it for right. five years after that and then disappeared and came back again in the last two years. But again, it's one of those things where if you love what you do and you're proud of the product, you will do very well. And from what I'm hearing from you, you are very proud of the product you're putting out. I really am. I put a lot of work into it and my family suffers for it. We all <laughs> suffer for this art, for this free entertainment that we put out there for people to critique us. Well, I think, and, it, um, I think it's interesting. You say free entertainment and... Yes. 30 years ago, when I went to college for doing this, I would have never thought mm -hmm. that anybody would be able to do it. And now the people that are doing it that have no professional training are doing it. And it sounds better than the people that do have professional training. And that's what I think is impressive. And you're doing it for free. And I'm doing it for free. I'm doing it because I want to. Okay. So I think sometimes that just makes it. If you're doing something that you want to do and not something you have to do or chose for a career, per se, yeah. or just fell into as a career, it comes out a much different product at the end. It really does. And I have friends who have evolved into paying people to do their research, paying people to do their scripts. They have producers who do their editing. I could never afford to have anyone do my editing because I'm so nitpicky now. Right. The only way that it will be the way I want it is if I do it. So I'm willing to put the time in. Maybe if I had more money, I'd be willing to put the money in. But that's something we'll probably never have to venture into. But every show is great for what it is, you know. And most of, you know, most of the shows I listen to, just just having the courage to do it, right? you know, is enough. Just putting yourself out there. And I don't know... I mean, I've worked very hard to grow my listenership. Literally, it feels like one download at a time. But it's really just consistency. I feel like if you consistently put out a decent product, then, you know, when you try to, ha you know, network and drive people to it, it'll be decent. But you can't have your expectations too high either. You can't expect Wondery to want to buy you after six months or something <laughs> like that, you know. That, that can't be why you're doing it. That, that really can't be why you're doing it. Wondery, are you listening? <laughs> just checking, just in case. Hey, they might be. You don't that know. Out there. So with all with all the downloads and all the followers and and the plays that you have, is Spreaker your main site? Yes, you they are my they're my host. Okay, 
and they handle my advertising as well. Yeah. Because I just recently moved my program to Spreaker in the last three weeks. So, mm-hmm. um, and, and I think that's how I came across you because I was looking through stuff and the title itself is, is it just jumped out at me. It really did murderous minors, but why do you need feel the need to put the killer kids afterwards? Well, that's been there since the very beginning and nobody ever says that anymore. Okay. We, we pretty much just refer to it as murderous minors at this point, but way back at the beginning. Yeah, that was on there. Um, you know, just to make sure people really get the message. Sometimes people still think I'm running about people who, who kill kids. Oh, what well, good point. I never, and I have to, ex- I yeah. Would, I would have never and thought I, of that. Just, yeah, because I don't know why people don't want to. It's, it's hard for some people to even wrap their mind around. And I'm like, but you've heard of Columbine. I mean, people, yeah. def- children definitely kill people. You know, it happens. But and I, um, it but, happens a lot. But I don't. I and 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 what you're doing is unique because I don't think people. I mean, true crimes and those w- dealing with adults, people can listen to it and not feel uncomfortable. But when you hear about a kid killing another child or a family member or anybody, you get a little bit queasy. It, it, it becomes a little bit uncomfortable, and I, I'm sure oh, yeah, for a lot of grandma? people. I'm sure for a lot of people, this is a guilty pleasure to listen to. Well, I hope they just think about, you know, the things that we're talking about, because so many times people will say, no one would have expected it from this family, or nobody would have expected it from this specific child. And it's like, every child is different. I mean, if you're a full-time school teacher, you know, I'm sure you carry eyeballs if you kids in your day. Uh Uh-huh. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I have. Uh, and and then sometimes things happen and people say, huh, that's exactly what I thought would happen with that kid. Well, did anyone try to intervene before it happened? That's the next question after that. Or did everyone just talk about it? So speaking of intervening, with the stories that you've done, are there any stories that you feel that you listen to that if someone would have got in there when they saw the first signs, do you think the kid could have been saved? There are so many of my kids who are being treated for mental illness or who've been expelled from school for bringing a weapon or Uh they sell home or the journals. I can't even tell you how many of these children incriminate themselves in their journals. There's so many indicators before these terrible things happen. But I think that a lot of parents, grandparents, caregivers, they're not aware of what they are because... It's really just hard to believe that kids can be homicidal. Right. And to to have to be on the lookout for it, you have to feel like it can be any child, which it really can, you know. As we just saw with the last um yeah. school shooting in Santa Clarita, you know, that kid they didn't expect it from him at all. But he did have issues since his dad died and he grew up in a home riddled with domestic violence and Mm -hmm. alcohol abuse. So you have to wonder, was he being properly cared for um, to properly taken care of to make sure he was okay after those kinds of things happened to him, you know? And I, and I guess the answer is no. Unfortunately, it would, I guess it would just have to be no. So 
I I just listened to you. I listened to you talk about it, and I've and like I said, I've listened to a few of the podcasts. And again, it goes back to that whole idea of as how can no one see the signs beforehand? Like you said, writing in a journal, uh, doing all this, because in a lot of ways, and this is my personal opinion, I, I, I could be totally off base here. But a lot of times I think the kids looking for help, but they don't know how to ask for it. So they're doing right things. or they don't want to come right out and say it with words. Right. So they're, they're doing the journal and hoping that they leave it somewhere so someone else can find it and read it and go, wait a minute, what's going on here? This kid needs help. Do you see that in a lot of the stories? I've never had a story where a parent read the journal and found these things. The journals are generally always found when a search warrant is conducted after the child's already murdered something. Really? Then the evidence is found, social media evidence or text messages or diaries and journals. Um, that stuff is always found afterward. That's 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 interesting. And I think me. it's it's crazy. I've had kids who's who's who who stopped letting their parents into their bedroom at some point in the past. If you can't tell me, if you don't think that's a red flag, then you sh- that's there's something seriously wrong with you. No child should ever tell you, you, the parent, they can't go in their bedroom. Right. That's the biggest red flag there could ever be. <laughs> I just have so many questions. It, I don't know where to begin. And I know you're not I know you're not a therapist or mental health, but it seems to me that you've delved into so many of these stories that you probably have a better insight to this than a lot of therapists would because you see a lot of... of um, related situations on how kids were being treated or how kids were reacting to certain situations and so on, because you're doing it from a, um, an outside observer and not someone that's getting paid to do it. I think an outside observer and sometimes in some cases actually is a better observer than someone that is actually trained and qualified to do it. Absolutely. And I have no, I don't have to be worried about, like you said, my employer. I don't have to be. I can say and think about this whatever I want. I don't have. I'm not restricted by the Hippocratic oath or right. any kind of thing. You know, patient confidentiality or anything like that. So, and I, I'm not part of the government experts and things like that. They're always coming, approaching the situation from their expert opinion. Right. And I don't have an expert opinion. So I kind of see it from a very broad, very general view. I can I see a lot of different things and patterns that um that I wish these things would be easier to change, but I don't think that they're necessarily easy to change, but I really do feel like intervention and you know, when I was a kid after school there was so many activities and there was just you know people went to church all the time several times during the week yes or there was sports or there was even the ymca and the Mm -hmm. boys and girls club we don't really have those things anymore and maybe it's because of technology but when when you bring that that kind of stuff away when you bring that up i think that's interesting have you looked at generational on how many how many um if this if it was prevalent in the 1930s and 40s or is this something relatively new in the last 20 years that we have kids no, doing this it's always happened 
Has it been I mean, this severe? Has it been this severe, or do we just severe. notice it more because of the media? I would say as the population increases, it goes up. Okay. You know, it, it, it increases with the population. But I've covered, you know, kids from the 50s, the 60s, um, all over the world as well. You know, I've done uh, stories about kids from all different countries who have killed as, they, as children and teenagers, some of them as 8, 11, um, 7 years old, India, Chile, uh, Great Britain, pretty much anywhere there's, pe- anywhere there's ever been children, they've killed people. So, when you talk about those other countries, and I know that handguns are looked differently there, are there other means that the kids are doing their destruction? It's hardly ever handguns. Uh, really? Um, yeah, it's, there's not a lot of gun violence um, outside of the U.S. I would say. I don't. I, I mean, maybe now, maybe now, but I would say no. It's mostly it's a lot of stabbing, to be honest. And I think it's because some a lot of other countries guns you know you don't have guns there like you do here, but and it just means that's how I know gun control won't work. Right. Because you take away guns and people will just they'll find get something carry else. machetes. Yeah. Or you know whatever it doesn't matter as long as we're humans we'll kill each other you know that's just how it is and it doesn't matter honestly how old you are, and it's. It's pretty crazy. All you can do is be aware of your surroundings. So, I mean, Harry, eyeball every kid you see. When you're when you're looking at the ones over that are outside the United States and doing the stabbings, the the child doing the stabbing, did they think it was a fun that they were going to kill the person, or it was just in their mind some way to get back at them, and they just happened to die. Um, I mean, all different ways. You know, there was a little girl named Mary Bell who was 11, way back in the 60s, I believe. Okay. And she killed two little boys. They were like three and four. I haven't covered her, but she's a classic case of the young child killer that people always reference. Yeah. And she, you know, a lot of kids say they just do it because they want to see what it feels like to kill somebody. Gotcha. It's very rarely just revenge. Like, no one ever really has gotten, I mean, occasionally a teenager will get mad at their parent and specifically shoot them or kill them because they had an argument, but even that's kind of rare. It's more like sometimes kids get obsessed with the thought that they want to see what it's like to kill someone, and then some of them actually do that. A lot of my kids are on antidepressants when they commit murder as well. I don't try to make any correlation with that. Uh Uh-huh. But it's just something I've also noticed. That that's very interesting. Now, when you, yeah. when you when you do your program, do you? Because again, you're very fact based when you write it and everything else. But is there any time you interject your own personality into it? Every once in a while, I might be snarky. Okay, but this is not a show that I want people to come to to hear my opinion. Okay. So when I do things like like what I'm doing right now with you, that's where you can hear my opinion. But I'm just I just want to bring the stories, and I just want you to understand what happened and say, "Wow, that's crazy." That's pretty much what I want you to say every time. 
you know, that it's over. But no, I don't really put in my opinions too much because I'm not an expert in anything. Right. You know, I'm not here to, you're not here to listen to my opinions. You just want to know what happened. Right. But I do do interviews and then I get to say what I think about, what I actually think about gun control or what I think about mental health in this country. And so that's where usually people get to hear that. But I don't think that my uh, that's just not what I want my listeners to come for I want them to come for the details and you know to come away saying wow I had no idea that that even ever happened you know now you mentioned earlier that that you get correspondence from listeners do they suggest um uh different cases or situations for you to look into Absolutely. Sometimes I just want to chit chat, you know, about what happened or, you know, talk about about what I think about uh-huh. it and all. And then I'll give my opinion as well. Um, you know, we can talk. We talk about it one on one. Like, this is what I think. This is what they think. Um, but I do often get cases that um, come from listeners. Now, I did one way back, maybe around episode 16. OK. And. It was suggested to me by a listener. So I was able to look it up and find all the information. Well, she went to juvenile hall and then she was about to get released and she was trying to get a job. And every time somebody Googled her name, the only thing that came up was my podcast. Oh, okay. About how she had killed her sister. Uh huh. And it had only been a couple of years too. She got a juvenile sentence in her state. So she was only maybe incarcerated from 14 to 18. Okay. So now she she was going to be 18. And so I went ahead and pulled it all down. Of course, I'm not trying to ruin anyone's life. Right. Since then, I've been pretty cautious about taking listener cases. Gotcha. Okay. So I like to stick to cases that have had plenty of media coverage, okay. you know, so and- that I'm able to get what I want um, details wise from I would have never thought of that that uh, some of these kids would be released after their sentence was done now have you ever had any of the individuals contact you that actually are one of the minors that have done the uh the done the crime I haven't but I've had people I've had family members friends of parents I've had multiple people you know um who are peripherally involved with the kids uh, contact me. I've had people contact me and say, this parent is not doing well. You know, um, I get a lot of comments on it. Believe it or not, I actually send, send this show to my YouTube channel as well. Yes. So people who want to stream on their computer at work or whatever can stream it from YouTube. I get lots and lots of comments from people and lots of messages from people who, who know um, the kid perpetrators who give me updates. Interesting. So it's pretty interesting. My, the reach is getting bigger and bigger, so I don't know if a kid will ever contact me. Of course, I'll, I'll absolutely speak with them, but I don't make I haven't really tried to correspond with any of the kids okay. or anything either, you know? So, and, and I don't know. At first, I thought I would, but I'm not trying to influence or impact their lives in any way. I'm really just trying to tell stories, you know. Right. Now, one thing you said, and you've been saying it throughout when we talk about them, is you call them your kids. 
Do you feel that close of a connection yeah, with the stories? The kids that I've written about. Yeah. Do you feel that close yeah. of a connection with them? Yeah. I mean, if the kids are, if the victims are kids, I call them my kids too, you know? Okay. And I just say that because then I'm talking specifically about the kids I've written about, you okay. know, but I really do. I really do. And I'm always so sad for just everyone involved in these stories, right. which is not usually how true crime ends. Mm-hmm. Usually when you're done absorbing some kind of true crime content, you're mad at one side and sad for one side. Right. But when I get through these stories, I'm sad for everyone. Yeah. So many families get ruined or one family can be imploded by, you know, by these actions. And no one ever, there's never any justice when you lose your kid because they committed a crime. Right. There's no justice for the other family either, you know. Now, you, you mentioned also that you have some some people that know these kids give you follow-ups. Have you ever thought about doing a follow-up podcast on, on certain individuals? I've thought about it, but that would be a project that I would have to plan out for the future. Okay. Because I'm really just so busy trying to turn out one episode, trying to turn out episodes. I have to keep that constantly grinding in a very scheduled fashion to get it done on time. Okay. But I had thought about it. Here's the thing. I don't want to sensationalize them any more than I already am. Right. And I would never I would never want to bring someone on and then they end up, you know, sounding like they're trying to manipulate my listeners into believing some kind of story or something. That's not really what I'm trying to do, you know? Okay. It was different when I interviewed Antonio because he was a relief. Right. He was out of prison at this point, you know? So he didn't really have to try to justify his actions. He'd already done his time. But when you're dealing with... I do correspond with a few prisoners, but nobody that I've covered. Okay. So... um you, you, a lot of the back and forth is them trying to justify their actions, you know, and I don't really want to, I mean, if anything, I'd rather talk to victims' families. Okay. I think I'm already saying enough about the kids if I was ever going to talk to any other people or have them on my show, unless it was like another juvenile life or, or another kid who was free. I don't really want to talk to anyone in prison because, you know, your motives are different when you're incarcerated. Right. You know, once you're back on the streets again, if that ever happens, then it's a different story. You have a different perspective on life. That's the kind of perspective, hope and healing, that kind of thing, moving on with your life. And you don't get that from corresponding with prisoners. It's not very happy. Okay. Now, um, you mentioned uh, your family. How does your husband feel about you doing this? Well, to be honest, he's the one who told me what a podcast was okay. in the first place. So I had never heard of them when he brought it up to me years and years ago. Uh-huh. So I think some, I think he's down. He's super proud. Uh-huh. He's really proud of the progress, you know, that we've made over these past two years. But I think, I think secretly he takes a lot of credit <laughs> for it even happening. Okay. <laughs> Because I, I think he would like to say he's the original brainchild. So, okay, if there wasn't a podcast, would you still be doing this in some other way? 
I don't think so. I think the whole, the medium of podcasting is what has made my collective talents collide. Okay. Without that medium and the availability to do it, I don't think it would have manifested itself in in another way that would be this fulfilling. Absolutely not. I think that's interesting. Um, Anything that you'd like to say to my audience before I let you go this evening? Well, I just want to thank everyone for listening and feel free to tune in. And if you have any questions or anything, definitely, you know, I love corresponding with my listeners. And I do love getting case, cases um, suggested to me as well. But the most important thing I think I would want to say is just we all come in contact with kids in our lives, even if we don't have any ourselves or their growth. And it's just really important that you you really, you know, just glance at them and make sure that they look like they're okay, that they're being taken care of, but not so much just physically, but you can tell when a child is happy or or in some kind of distress. If you see something going on, I mean, you know, and, and it's a kid that you know, there's always things you can do to try to make sure that that kid is okay. I think if every person, every adult, Every older kid, even peers, if everyone spent a little bit more time making sure each other was okay, or if there's anything on your mind, or is there anything you want to talk about, or do you have any questions about anything, they should be free to have somebody to talk about that with. And it could always be you. It doesn't even matter who the kid is, you know. Right. Having three kids of my own, I've picked up so many extra kids along the way. <laughs> And sometimes it's a lot easier to talk to someone else's parent than it is your own. Right. And so, you just kind of got to be that person. And one thing you said, and I, and, and I, that was supposed to be the last question, but I have one more for you. <laughs> when you do these, how far back do you go? I mean, you mentioned the 50s and stuff like that. Have you gone back into the early 1900s and found a case that was intriguing? Or is that just too far back to go because you don't think you would have a list, an interested audience? Well, it's too far back to go because I can't find anything more than one paragraph. Okay, about. okay, and that so makes... it gets kind of. It, and my episodes are kind of on the shorter side for two reasons: one, just to make the the topic more easily digestible. Right. You don't really want to hear an hour and a half about you know these kinds of topics, so I try to do it in digestible chunks. But also because I'm not privy to tons of information like I would be if it were cases about adults. Right. So sometimes I'll throw a bunch of cases in and be like, you know, the under some kind of theme because I don't have tons of info. But the situations that children get themselves in are just mind blowing. Yeah. So sometimes it's just too interesting a story for me to pass up. So, but um, I should look back a little bit further in history. It's just. The more technology emerges, the more the media covers things and the more easily I have access to them. So I try to spread it out throughout the generations. But just remember, it's always been there. (laughs) Yeah, always has. Well, War Baby, (laughs) thank you very much. I appreciate you taking time to talk to me and my audience this evening. This was very interesting. And I'd love to have you back on sometime in the near future. Thank you so much, Bill. Good night, everybody. Good night. Thank you very much. You have a great evening. (laughs) Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. 
War Baby from the podcast Murderous Miners, Killer Kids, here on this edition of Online with Bill Alexander. Very interesting. It was very interesting. And this uh, got a hold of her last week, said I started listening to her podcast and quite enjoyable. So you need to you need to check it out, too. I'll put the links on my program so you can find out where she is located. And again, it's called the Murderous Miners, Killer Kids podcast. Well, that's going to wrap up another program here on WMCK.FM and also on Fayette TV Channel 77 and also now on CUTV, California University of Pennsylvania. And we're going to wrap everything up tonight. Everybody, you have a great one. We'll talk to you next time here online with yours truly, Bill Alexander. become Central Ohio's most trusted team of orthopedic experts? We focus on what matters most, our patients. At Orthopedic One, we know we're only at our best when we're helping you get better. And every day, your commitment to overcoming pain and injury inspires and moves us. That's why we bring our best every day to earn your trust. Find a physician near you at orthopedicone.com. If you've been a renter, you know it's stressful to find the perfect place. But Zillow Rentals make it easy. They have filters for pretty much everything. So you can find a rental that's big enough for entertaining your friends, but small enough they won't crash all weekend. Find your sweet spot on ZillowRentals.com. Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that... That's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton.